Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. Of course, the Trojans clinched the South. Going to play the winner of the North Division in the Pac-12 in the Pac-12 Championship game coming up in a couple of weeks and still have UCLA left on the schedule. Want to talk about the win in Colorado. Our guest, Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist from uscfootball.com. He was there in Boulder. We're going to talk to him about that. Answer a lot of your questions, and you guys sent in a lot. We'll do our best to get to them all. If you have any questions, podcast at uscfootball.com is email, or you can call or text. Our number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Please subscribe. Please leave positive feedback on any of your favorite podcasting apps. We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash Podcast. Leave a five-star review. It helps us uh, propagate the show out to new USC football listeners. This is our 10th season doing it. Uh, I can probably safely say we are the biggest USC podcast out there. We've been doing it the longest, and uh, we do appreciate it. Because of all of you, all the listeners out there, sending all your questions, uh, listening, talking about the show on social media. We do appreciate that. It's making it, it bigger and better than ever, and uh, we thank you for all of that. And we thank our guest, Dan Weber, for Spending some time here talking about the team. Hopefully your trip to uh, Boulder was a good one, Dan. Not bad. Uh, you know, it always uh, starts with uh, a day game. If you get a day game, uh, I guess it's only the second day game since 2002. Uh, but um, that's a plus. Uh, a day game in Boulder is uh, is the way to go. I, I, I know some of the fans uh, weren't crazy about Folsom Field because it's kind of an old – Old setup, but I like it. Uh, I think they've done a really, really nice job. And of course, you gotta love Ralphie. Uh, yeah. And um, a, lot, a lot to like uh, about the game. Uh, unfortunately, a lot not to like about the game, <laughs> also. But uh, you know, when you're up 27 to nothing, you probably shouldn't have to hold off a Colorado team that's now five and six on their last series inside the 10 yard line to keep them from going to, you know, bringing it up to 38-31 with a, an onside kick to try to try to get back in the game. So uh, uh, that was not good. And I, I know Clay uh, last night said, well, they never did get within one touchdown. They got off close <laughs> uh, to one touchdown. And I'm not sure Colorado's good enough that uh, you should just fritter away a 27 nothing lead. Uh, against Colorado, you just can't do that. And uh, uh, you know, th- but that's who this team is. They uh, they do things that you th- you know that you just can't like enough, and then they do things that you just can't hate enough. And uh, they do them in the same game, sometimes in the same series. <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you throw the combustible element of the Pac-12 officiating into any mix like that, and who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it's just uh, you know so. When you get a 27 to nothing lead, you probably ought to just try to maintain it and not have to hold your breath at the end. Yeah, fair. And I love your column. We're going to get into all of that and a lot of the questions. There's positives, there's negatives. 
is just what this team is. But before we do all that, USC does have a game coming up against UCLA. Crosstown rival doesn't mean anything for the Pac-12 race. But if you want to get tickets to that game, we got a place to do it. Go to SeatGeek. So buying tickets for sporting events and concerts, it can be complicated. But there's a better, simpler way to buy if you use SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like the Trojans in person especially against UCLA. And SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for a great value. So I have the app on my phone. I just pulled it up. And so tickets starting at $90 for USC and UCLA. Now that the Bruins won last week, I think it uh, probably boosted up the prices a little bit. Uh, It's designed to make the ticking buying experience easier than ever. It'll save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices. And it'll help you find amazing deals. And it's giving you the most bang for your buck. It'll grade every ticket based on value help you immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. Plus, it's fully guaranteed, so you can shop on SeatGeek with with confidence. And best of all, our Peristyle podcast listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the app like I did. Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And uh, Dan, your column I thought was great uh, after the game because there's all – there's I mean, obviously there's positive. They're 9-2. and two. This is a 9-2 team. I don't think I've ever seen as many people complain about a 9-2 team. They clinch the South. They'll probably be favored in the championship game. I like their their matchups with anyone from the North right now. Maybe Stanford's the toughest, and USC's already beat Stanford. There's a lot of positives about this team. You know, they go to the Fiesta Bowl. I guess some outside shot at the playoff, but I'm not focused on that at all. Um, and I thought your column was great. Like, this is just the way this team is, that they're – at least they're winning. They're going through, and I think some of the teams in the past, maybe they would have as much talent and – squander leads and things like that, but they wouldn't have the perseverance to go through and win. At least least this team does that, but I I thought you wrote, it was really great what you wrote about the team and its personality. It just seems like that's what this team's personality is. It's a flawed team, but it's still going through and and getting the W's. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you are how you play. You are what you do, and this is what they do. I mean, I know Keeley asked the question on instant analysis. What do you think? Can they get this all corrected? I said, it's 11 games into the season. You're pretty much who you are. After 11 games, that's who you are. And you just hope that the good side is, is enough to overcome the bad side. Uh, and you just, uh, you know, they do play on. I mean, uh, you know, they never showed up at, at Washington State, really. Uh, they went into that week, uh, short week, all kinds of injuries. Sam wasn't right yet. And uh, with like, you know, one of the worst game plans you've ever seen. Notre Dame week, I don't think they had a clue what Notre Dame was going to do, how, how good they were or not. Uh, and uh, Notre Dame was, you know, had, had one thing. Uh, they're going to come out and punch you in the mouth, hope you turned the ball over to them, and gave them some easy scores, which is exactly what USC did. Uh, but I tried to tell people, Notre Dame, not that good. They really aren't. You don't give them a 21 nothing lead. You don't give them the ball. They have trouble scoring. Uh, going the length of the field, which, you know, they proved, uh, you know, this weekend, they're not that good a team. You know, and I know some of the USC kids were saying, well, the only loss we really had was a great Notre Dame team. They're not a great team by any imagination. This year, there aren't any great teams. And uh, USC, had Sam been healthy all year, maybe could have avoided this uh, uh, to some extent. But, uh, but, you know, you do have a – have a sense of, of what might have been uh, with this year if uh, if they'd have 
eliminated some of the flaws. Uh, this is not ever going to be a team going to eliminate all of them, but they do some spectacular stuff. And then some, you know, some of the catches that Tyler Vaughn's is starting to make now and the runs that Rojo, I mean, and yet there's the perfect contradiction. Rojo, I asked uh, Clay last night, said he's now the number six leading rusher in the history of USC. He's this wonderful kid that's gotten bigger, stronger, he passed Reggie Bush, Lendale White, and Mike Garrett in uh, Saturday's game with 142 yards. And yet, when you need fourth and one, you know, I mean, how does this team do that? And there aren't any good answers. Uh, and I know Clay said, well, we got one of our two, one of the two fourth downs. Uh, but, uh, you know, they were four or 14, I guess, on third down. It's a it's a frustrating team in some ways that, um, that 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 puts these two sides of their football personality together and uh, makes you say, oh, I wish they could have, <laughs> I wish they wouldn't have done that, or I wish they could have done that, uh, you know, two plays in a row instead of just once. But uh, but uh, still, they're fun to watch if you can if you can handle the frustration of remembering how well they just played on that last series or that last play, and then they do something on this play, and you just say, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot of what the heck is going on here moments this whole season. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's a good thing that um, UCLA really came to life last week on offense. I think that's great. Uh, are you you're glad to see Rosen show, you know what 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 he can do, and and some of their kids step up, and because otherwise you were I think looking at SeatGeek having an awful lot of seats to sell. Uh, uh, I think maybe they won't get quite as many uh, good UCLA seats available uh, at this point because I I thought going into last weekend there was a potential of the fewest UCLA fans showing up ever at a Coliseum game. And I think maybe now, uh, you know, they've got some hope, and, and that you know that uh, Rosen can have one of those moments, and maybe USC will not have one of those moments. And I think that, that I think that awakened USC to uh, to watch uh, you know, whether they got home. I'm not sure if they got home quick or quick enough to watch the game, the whole game. But uh, if they did, one hopes they you know they were watching and uh, and saying, you know. He's going to come in and try to try to do that to us and uh, and get a win against USC, uh, his first, and uh, one of those you know, gets him to a bowl game and does a lot of things for him. Yeah, well, let's uh, we got a lot of questions, like I said, so let's start jumping in. Um, we'll kind of bounce around. We got Oliver from Down Under. He said, "Hey Ryan, love the podcast. Listen to them religiously." From way across the Pacific in Wellington, New Zealand. I stumbled across your podcast a couple of years back. Have been hooked since. A question for you and Dan. I've only been a USC fan for 10 years, but I've always wanted them to be relevant at this stage of the season. Obviously, this has rarely been the case of late. While I'm excited that they are now relevant during the home stretch of November, I feel that if chaos ensues ahead of them in the rankings and they somehow were to backdoor into the number four ranking following a Pac-12 championship game beatdown of the northern foe that they would be get badly exposed for being the good but not great team that they are by suffering an Alabama or Clemson manhandling. He said, "A, do you agree that that scenario 
Uh, oh, scenarios like this would do harm, more harm than good, making the top four for us as we continue to rebuild under uh, Coach Helton. And B, if we were to somehow squeeze into the number four seed, which of the current one to four teams do you think would present our best chance of winning and making it to Atlanta? My guess would be Miami. Thanks for your constant insight and perspective. And go Trojans, Oliver from Down Under. Hey, all right. I have a neighbor from Christchurch, uh, uh, New Zealand, so um, uh, uh, I, I do like, really like the accent. I have a sister who lives in Australia. I, I think I, I'm a little more partial to the uh, New Zealand accent, but uh, that's great to hear from you. Uh, and a good question. I think Sports Illustrated last week had, had USC with like an 8% chance to make it to the playoffs. I think that's about right. So there's a chance. You know that famous saying, you say there's a chance. Well, there's a chance. Uh, if Alabama had, had really developed this year, um, I would say your scenario is, well, if you sneak into number four, let's say, I mean, you can't create a scenario where that happens with enough back and forth wins uh, and losses and uh, uh, Stanford coming back and, and beating Notre Dame badly and, all those kinds of things happen with the uh, Alabama-Auburn game and, and, and the, PAC, or the SEC championship game. And I think, you know, and the bottom falling out on Wisconsin. And all of those maybe could happen. Could they all happen together? Probably hard to say. Uh, the USC team that showed up in South Bend, absolutely. If that team shows up in the playoffs, even against all of those flawed teams, and there's not a team in the country that's not flawed this year, then you don't want to be around to watch that. However, I mean, and you could say, look, uh, uh, Notre Dame beat USC by 35 points, and then Miami beat USC, or beat Notre Dame by whatever it was, 30-some points, and then uh, what does that make them, a 60-, 70-point favorite against USC? I would like that matchup. Honest to gosh, I wouldn't mind whatsoever if USC stuck in there. Uh, I just think that's the way this year is. I mean, everybody thought that Georgia uh, proved themselves. They didn't play anybody else, but they put also that one-point win at South Bend. Then you realize, you know, Notre Dame wasn't that good. And the fact that Georgia only scored 20 points on Notre Dame made you think, hey, maybe Georgia's not that good, but you don't know it until they – they get exposed against Auburn, for example. I think everybody this year has a lot of what USC has, the ability to play really badly, except for Alabama probably can't play really badly as bad as everybody else, as they showed at Mississippi State. Uh, but uh, but I, at first I was like you. I thought they, I didn't want them in the playoffs. Now, I don't know. If they play... They would have to play really well week after week after week, at least this week, and then the championship game. Uh, would that mean that they're moving in the right direction enough to be in the playoffs? And do they throw the ball well enough against some of those teams that don't see good quarterbacks? Maybe, maybe. Or are they better off playing, say, uh, an Ohio State or a Wisconsin in the uh, Fiesta Bowl? You know, I, I've... I think it's still up for grabs until you see how USC plays this week in the championship game. And then you might have a better idea uh, of whether they would 
looked like they they belonged in the four-team playoff or whether they wouldn't. And uh, I don't think we know right now. But I don't think we know about a lot of those teams, whether they belong or not. Uh, it's just one of those years. Yeah. So I guess- this might be the year you might want to be there just because who knows who you're going to play if they're going to show up either. Yeah, I think obviously a lot of things can happen, but I'm kind of in the camp of, you know what, it's like getting blown out by Notre Dame on the road. That was terrible. Um, I think winning the Pac-12 is great. You should be happy about that. Beating, you know, at least one of your rivals, beat UCLA, win the Pac-12. That's awesome. And a Fiesta Bowl bid would be great. You know, I think I think that's like you're super happy last year after losing three games to still make the Rose Bowl. I think getting blown out on the road at Notre Dame, not showing up and still being able to make a Fiesta Bowl is good. Playoff, I don't, I'm just not even focused on that, but we'll see. But we, we have one more. Well, yeah, I mean, the one good thing about the playoffs is the Rose Bowl is a playoff stop. So if you could do that, <laughs> that would change my opinion of, uh, of how, the, uh, uh, how the playoffs would play. Uh, if USC could somehow, could you be that lucky? I don't know. Could anybody be that lucky? But, uh, but that would change the dynamics if USC got into the, into the playoffs and got a Rose Bowl spot. Yeah. All right. We got, uh, there's a voicemail question. More playoff talk. Hey, guys. Rob, Robin Yakaya. I just want to comment on the potential playoff uh, rankings and that type of thing. And just wanted to think about what you guys thought. This could either be for Coach, Coach Hyde or for Dan Weber. Um, regarding if USC can finish undefeated from here on out, if we can beat UCLA and win the Pac 12 title game, we'll have. Of one loss out of conference, one loss in conference. And I think that what the media and a lot of these football people don't realize is the way the Pac-12 schedules. Um, I think if USC can escape with only one conference loss during the season, I think that that's huge. And I think there's a bad reflection on the Pac-12 in general because they cannibalize each other because we have nine conference games. A lot of other conferences only have eight. And I think we're the only conference that will schedule back-to-back road games and one the second one of being on a Friday. I don't think people realize how difficult that is and the toll it takes on an entire season. And it's virtually impossible to get through a Pac-12 schedule and not lose a game. And I think that that should be taken into consideration when, when, the, when the final rankings come out. But anyway, just your thoughts. Anyway, thanks. Bye, on. Bye. Yeah. My thinking is the rest of the country says if you're going to be that stupid as the Pac-12 is, basically scheduling USC, Washington, and Washington State into Friday night losses, that's your problem. That's not our problem. We're not going to take that into consideration. And if you want to play nine games, fine. Play nine games. Beat yourselves up. Who cares? That's not our problem. I mean, that's my general sense of you will not get rewarded for Pac-12 stupidity by the rest of the country. You will not. And they they shouldn't. You you should only get blame for being that stupid to be in a conference that you say nothing about, that nobody screams to high heaven about the terrible scheduling. I mean, I was thinking about this. Going into the season, if you said, what are the top three Pac-12 games this season? You'd have probably said USC-Stanford. You'd have probably said that USC-Washington State game, they're going to be undefeated and ranked. And that, Friday, that game, I think that'll be one of them. And probably Stanford and Washington, Stanford, Washington at Stanford. Those three games would be your top three uh, picks in the Pac-12. Two of those ended up on Friday night. Think about that. 
how dumb is that? That any league in America would schedule their three uh, playoff contenders for Friday night games. It's just amazing. And two of them are on the road Friday night games. I mean, it's just. They got so preempted now, by truck racing. <laughs> yeah, and then you can't get on the air. You not only get it scheduled on Friday night, Fox doesn't even put you on the air. And you can't get, if you're, if you're, imagine you're in Seattle, and this is the season for your team, and you're playing at Stanford, and, you, and they throw it over to Fox Sports 2, and Fox Sports 2 isn't available in the Seattle area. Can you imagine? I mean, that ought to be uh, one of those where they, Tap you if you're the commissioner of the Pac-12. They tap you on the shoulder about six o'clock Friday and say, "By Monday, your desk will be cleaned out and you'll be out of town." I mean, that's a fireable offense. You signed a contract that allows that to happen. Are you kidding me? Truck racing? I think the caution light was on for part of that. Uh, there wasn't even truck racing. There was a caution light. Oh yeah, there was. I think I, mean, I I was looking at the. There was like twenty something laps to go with like a half hour left, and then. I come back later and there was like 15, you know, laps to go. And they were all in like a caution. So it was like nothing going on. It was like, just get this off, you know. Only the, I mean, if you're the big town of the SEC, you're looking at the Pac-12 and you think they are the dumbest people that ever had anything to do with college football. I mean, you, these are people that are shooting themselves in both feet multiple times. I mean, you're not just one mistake after another. It's just, it, it's beyond all comprehension that the Pac-12 would be in a situation like that, but nobody speaks out. I mean, we've been complaining about it for years, and, you know, complained about it the minute the Pac-12 schedule came out this year, complained about uh, the Washington State game. Did anybody at USC complain? No. How did that game even get there? I mean, you know, USC should not have accepted that schedule. It just should have said no. Yeah. We're not playing that game. Uh, we, you made us play one last year, and now uh, the fourth, it, it's going to happen. When USC was scheduled to play Washington State, that was the fourth time it happened where a team had to go back-to-back and play on Friday, back-to-back road games, play on Friday the, the second week. Two of those four times it happened were USC games. So USC, the team that you, know, you think you're going to hit your wagon to this year, is asked to do that again. Uh, first time last year, USC had to do it. First time this year, USC had to do it. And you tell them no. Somebody reminded me, and I hadn't thought about this, that uh, ESPN doesn't get the Pac-12 championship game this year. It's on Fox. And yet ESPN is allowed to make those selections for those Friday night, or at least the Friday night games involving USC. One wonders, hmm, Maybe not in US, or ESPN's interest this year to feature USC all that much. Hmm. I don't know. Just wondering. Yeah. Um, kind of along the same lines, Lynn and Rick wrote in from Westlake Village. After the season, we find ourselves reflecting on the consistently awful scheduling, game times, and officiating in the Pac-12 going back many years. Would USC ever consider going to another conference or going independent? And what's the deal with the predictable running calls on fourth and one? It's the worst. Why is Sam, Sam never under center for short yardage situations? Love your coverage. Thank you so much. Lynn and Rick in Westlake Village. Yeah, the short yardage stuff, you have to practice that. So, I mean, this is the, you know, you find yourself in this situation, you say, okay, would really be smart for Sam to be under center here. 
But this is a high-pressure situation. A fumble would really be, you know, disastrous. And if you don't practice that enough, um, you, you don't want to just go ahead and do it and say, I, I'm sure he'll be able to do it, or we'll, sure, we'll get the snap right, or we'll get all the timing right. Uh, would it help? Yeah. I think it would get the play quicker. Uh, it would more, there'd be more pressure because you do have the possibility of a quarterback sneak. Uh, and uh, you probably have less chance of, of all those breakdowns. They keep talking about, you know, there are uh, two guys on a combination block, and then they both went the wrong way, and that linebacker came in unblocked, and you'd have less chance of that. Okay, that would be uh, – but you have to practice it. If you don't practice it, you probably shouldn't do it. Uh, maybe you spend five minutes less uh, on special teams. I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> although, you know – you. At least at whatever time they spent on special teams this week. Uh, in, and, again, this is the good and the bad. You had the two freshmen who clearly studied uh, the film, and they traded off. I mean, once Brandon Peely got his uh, field goal block, then uh, Austin Jackson said, well, let me line up there. I'll get the next one. And he did with the same hand. I mean, it's like they were really paying attention. So that's really great. And then they get a punt block by, like, nine guys. Uh, and they have a guy who, you know, can't walk up the ramp after the game because of his grind pole trying to kick extra points and field goals. And you think, what the heck is going on here? Uh, it's USC. Uh, so, yeah, you would like to see them practice short yardage with the quarterback under the center. Yes, you would. Uh, and then you, you could actually do it in the game. As far as going independent, huh. I mean, I always thought that there might have been a chance for USC to be the West Coast Notre Dame, and if you could find uh, a TV uh, partner like Notre Dame found in NBC, or could you find NBC and say, look, we'll offer you uh, college football programming on all the weeks that Notre Dame doesn't have home games, or we'll offer you a West Coast version so that you could have double headers. You know, uh, NBC could have double headers when both teams are at home, and we'll be the US, uh, USC will be the West Coast version of Notre Dame. I've always liked that option because I think USC could have done what Notre Dame did with the um, with the ACC, where Notre Dame says we'll come and play in your conference for all our other sports, and um, it'd be a great place for basketball. I think USC could have still gone to the Pac-12 and said, here's the deal we'll offer you. We'll play all the other sports in the Pac-12, which will give all your sports who have to come into L.A. to recruit a chance to come into L.A. and play. And we'll play, like Notre Dame does with the ACC, we'll play a half a schedule in football every year. So your schools will still get the, the exposure of playing uh, in L.A. or playing USC. And I think that deal... I think it, it might still be doable if you could find the right TV partner like Notre Dame found, found with NBC. Would that be preferable? Absolutely. Uh, now, Notre Dame has had some fairly strong leadership in athletics with people that really say, okay, this is what Notre Dame is, this is who we are, this is what we believe in, this is what we're going to do. Does USC have that? Uh, we haven't seen that demonstrated. Uh, so, you know, maybe uh, – maybe it's there and we just haven't seen it and maybe it'll have to come through in future years because let's face it 
USC can't be in a conference where where USC shares revenues equally with the likes of Oregon State and and Colorado and uh, and Washington State. That just is not going to fly uh, in future years. So something has to happen. Uh, we'll see. Is the possibility of taking six or eight um, Pac-12 schools and joining with uh, six or eight Big 12 schools and, and having an East and a West conference with the likes of Oklahoma and Texas as the Eastern uh, you know, division of a, of a conference. I think that's the other thing that you have to explore. And some of the Pac-12 teams probably have to start looking at the Mountain West. But, uh, you know, when you've got three teams that are averaging only in the 40,000s for football and other programs that have just significant financial uh, hardships uh, coming up and uh, some of the stadiums that just really aren't up to muster, uh, I think, USC has to start thinking about something. Yeah. Let's go uh, Troy75. I hate to beleaguer the point, but why is the coaching staff willing to let our defensive backs play in such an undisciplined manner? Not only the pass interference and the unsportsmanlike calls, but the blown coverages. Our DBs have cost this team severely too many times, and it's not just Jack Jones. It would be one thing if our cornerbacks were the best in the country. They are not, in all caps. It's a tough position to play. But when are folks going to stop apologizing for these players and start laying down the law? Fight on from Troy75. Yeah, I mean, they played almost all man Saturday because they really wanted to stop um, Philip Lindsay, uh, the Colorado tailback. And basically, when you're playing man, you can't have guys, you know, you can't have two guys jump the same you know, wide receiver and let the other guy just go free. And, and just on two plays, they gave up 136 yards to um, the uh, Winfrey guy, who, you know, any one of us could have caught those touchdown passes. I mean, when no one is within 25 yards of you, you're probably going to catch it and score. They're probably not going to catch you. So 136 yards, if you'd have decided, you know what, we're, gonna, we're not going to play, man, because we don't trust these guys, uh, it would have taken Colorado a lot of doing to make up those 136 yards. They'd have had to run a whole lot of plays on a couple of different drives uh, that they didn't really show the ability to do. Uh, so I don't know. You're between a rock and a hard place uh, when you have wide, uh, defensive backs who look like they're just not going to stay disciplined enough to either do the coverage or understand the coverage or know the coverage maybe it's hard to hear when you're doing a lot of talking i don't know but maybe you don't hear the coverage calls but when you have two guys uh, a cornerback and a safety and they line up two wides on your on that side and both of your defenders jump the short route and let the long route go i mean it's just it's mind-boggling to see how that happens. I mean, it's just, you know, you got two guys out there matched up on two guys. How do you, how did both of them go to, and that's the thing that we keep seeing with the short yardage plays where they tell you that the two guys blocked the wrong guy or two guys blocked one guy. Nobody blocked the other guy. Uh, there's just, there is a lack of discipline that has to get better. They just have, or is that possible this year? I don't know. But, uh, but it does it does repeat itself in in, in, in different places in the game, and uh, here you go. You've got two giveaway touchdowns, and how many of those giveaway touchdowns on blown coverage have we seen this year? Uh, too many. Yeah. Uh, something has to change. 
Something does. And, uh, dude, you, you, Dan, I think everyone needs something to change about their tailgating at USC. And I think it should be you should stop at Trader Joe's over at the USC University Village before you get over to campus. Uh, Trader Joe's has been with us for the last few months. been great. Great working with them. We went to uh, the, the grand opening on campus or just off campus at the USC Village. It was awesome. They've been uh, helping us, not me particularly, but for 50 years they've been selling you delicious foods and beverages at terrific everyday prices. And we do want to recommend, if you want to do some tailgating, stop by the Trader Joe's over there at the USC Village. Uh, if you want to pick up some wine and cheese, you can do that. they got a really reasonable beers, some really cool six-packs if you bring to a tailgate. People are like, oh, that's an interesting one. Let me try that one out. But they also have the staples if you want to just go to your neighborhood Trader Joe's like I do in Hermosa Beach. Bread, milk, eggs, butter, things like that. Um, love the uh, – so we got some of these cool Trader Joe's reusable bags. I mentioned it on the podcast, Dan, and uh, our buddy John over at Trader Joe's sent me a whole bunch more because <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't have any more. So I'll, I'll bring you a couple um, to, to practice. Great. We might have to give a couple I'm way gonna, out I'm too. I'm going to take it to my na- neighborhood uh, – my my near supermarket and see if they'll give me a free bag of groceries and and trade it in for the <laughs> I don't think they like you bringing those Trader Joe's bags in there so uh uh anybody that has one take it to your nearby supermarket and see if they uh they'll offer to trade you for it yeah that's good stuff so we'll, we'll have to give a couple of them away I don't know so you know if you would leave a voicemail or something write us tell us why you really want one of those cool Trader Joe's uh USC bags they're they're really cool so I got a few extra ones now, but you know maybe I can bring them to the UCLA game and give a couple out. Uh, but yeah, thanks to Trader Joe's, they've been great with us, uh, working with us, and uh, we love you know we we both Dan and I both love going to Trader Joe's. My wife and I go all the time, so uh, very cool of them. Uh, let's keep rolling on the questions, Dan. We got a uh, one from John. He said, "I'm a frequent listener, occasional question submitter, but I listen to all the Peristyle podcasts. I feel like I really know the team." When I'm watching the game, thanks for keeping me current on USC football. Well, thanks, John. That's that's what we're trying to do. He says, question on the officiating. Speaking uh, specifically the tit-for-tat, quote-unquote, unsportsmanlike conduct calls for the post-catch ball spinning. Uh, even the casual fan like my wife, a Colorado alum, couldn't believe either warranted a call. It seems to me to be more about the refs trying to establish control over the game. Couldn't the same thing be accomplished by Dan's recommendation from last week of an off-camera Hand on the shoulder, warning to cut it out. Thanks. John and Pasadena, class of 1991, fan since 1970. Absolutely. But you'd have to be a confident, uh, competent official, and that's not what you're seeing in the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, absolutely. For example, with Tyler, that was such a minor. I mean, you know, the Colorado kids spun his a little bit more, but, but Tyler almost didn't even count. And you just you just put your sh- hand on his shoulder and you say, you know, they tell us we got to call that if you spin the ball in, in a real obvious way. So just be careful. Don't, you know, just drop it. Don't spin it. And that's all you had to do. I mean, I'm not even sure, you know, Clay's, I asked Clay about this on the conference call last time. I'm, sure, I'm not even sure Clay's going to absolutely do anything other than say, hey, they may call this. So just for that reason alone. Uh, you might not want to do it, but to act like that's a, that's worthy of un, unsportsmanlike conduct, that's ridiculous. And uh, try to imagine if one of those officials had a kid playing high school football, would he want his kid getting an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for doing that? That was anything but unsportsmanlike conduct. And that's the, the lack of understanding, uh, comfort level, 
competence and confidence that these officials in the Pac-12 have. They just don't have it. I mean, that's just good sense. Every good official that I have ever known, and I've gotten, you know, knew a lot of them, uh, uh, were Big Ten and SEC guys. I can't think of one of them that would have called that. And to have two of those in the same game, it's just, I mean, the, the embarrassment that the Pac-12 officials bring on themselves. I mean, every game you look at them and you think, and they come out for the second half and you think, what were they talking about at halftime? And how badly do they wish they could come out with bags over their heads for the second half so nobody knows who they are? Because it's just, it's, it's, it's not like anything you've ever seen. They're not. They're not getting any better. They're not any more. They're not comfortable being out there, and you can tell that. And the number of re- I mean, the most important guy in the building is the replay, re- you know, review official, because he's going to have to overturn. I mean, they're going to the replay guy for, you know, uh, first down markings, you know, within inches, and it's like, like he's going to know. I mean. And uh, and targeting, how many targeting calls have they gotten wrong? How many targeting calls have they had to overturn? Uh, I mean, I was I was really unhappy with the, the one on Matt Lopes. I just thought that was just a terrible call. And um, thank goodness the uh, replay guy agreed. But uh, they just don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the game. They don't see it. And they're not comfortable with having to make a call. And so... You've got a lot of stuff going on with the Pac-12 officials. Most of it not good at all. Yeah. Earl and West L.A. and Brent, they wrote in about that, too. I think there was a couple others. So we talked a lot about the officiating uh, last week. We'll we'll kind of leave it at that, <laughs> that this week. Sorry. I mean, what more can you say? I mean, it's, it's just, it, 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 you know, they make their own case every week, and it's not a good one. No, it's not. Uh, let's see. We got a text message. From George, he said, this is for Dan Weber. Dan, despite not playing up to their potential, USC could actually finish 12-2 and this season. If this happens, do you think Coach Helton will want to bring back his entire staff next year, a la Coach Herman at Texas, that didn't go over too well with the Texas fan base? Or should he bring, should he bring everyone back, at least for continuity? If not, uh, where do we need new coaches? Personally, I really think we need to at least find the Dylan McCullough of wide receiver coaches and bring him in. Coach T should not be doing double duty. Always enjoy the podcast. Fight on, uh, George and Oxnard. Well, they're going to get an extra coach, so that solves one of those problems. Let's say if you wanted to, uh, you know, bring in a wide receiver coach and 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 leave T essentially just doing offensive coordinator and all his recruiting impact. Uh, I think that would be. Uh, one of the ways you could look at it. Uh, I'm probably not going to get into, you know, the specifics of, of each uh, uh, individual assistant coach and, and whether they should come back or not. I mean, it, it is some of the hardest decisions are uh, who's making that call or who's doing this or whatever. And we're not close enough to, you know, we're not in the meetings and we're not close enough to, to a lot of the stuff that they do on the practice field to really get a sense of it. I mean, I think you, we would all probably look at different places um, of non-performance and, 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 and wonder about this particular coach or that particular coach. My guess would be they will not all be back. Uh, that would be just my guess. I, I think there are, you know, there are people involved with the program who 
would like to see uh, some things changed. Uh, one would hope Clay agrees in terms of what needs to change. Uh, he, he's you know very loyal guy. He's not going to throw anybody under the bus right now. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, I don't think continuity is is the kind of thing that that, that should keep a staff together. I think, uh, as you said, finding that the next Dylan McCullough is uh, would would be the the goal right here. And and how many places that might apply, I don't know. But uh, uh, I would agree with you that. Uh, that, that uh, I would not go for continuity. I would go for uh, D'Lan McCullough's across the board. Yeah, <laughs> agree with you there. Um, we had a voicemail. It was from Paul in Central Virginia. I think it was kind of long, but he, he sent it actually before the game. He wanted to know about the altitude, if you thought it would impact the team. And I don't know what you the, saw if it did. The players did. Actually, it, it actually impacts I have asthma. So whenever it gets cold, you get the combination of it's really dry – and it's, it's high. It's like 5,430 feet or something in Boulder. And, uh, and, and, and mechanically, the air, just you don't feel like you've got enough, uh, enough oxygen. Uh, that's probably not the case. That It probably takes uh, three or four hours before it would really kick in and make you feel like or, and, and, and really work against you. But... The players, I think the running backs especially, were surprised that they felt like they didn't have enough uh, oxygen. That they, uh, Rojo especially, and he said we were having to rotate uh, as much for that as anything. So uh, uh, whether a walkthrough on Friday and doing a little running, I mean, for example, just in the press box, if you go up the steps in the press box, you realize you just don't quite have that same feel of uh, oxygen. You know, uh, and I don't think it really impacts you, other than it feels a little uh, a little different there. Um, it's it's a it's an adjustment. I don't think your body though can get adjusted to it unless you go there for weeks and train. And and the luck, you know, the good news is a football game is only about three hours, or if it's Pac-12 with the officials, four hours. But uh, uh, you still probably you know can get through without having any really serious impacts. Uh, but again, the, the running backs all noticed it. And uh, so just if they even notice it, it, it's probably having some impact just on them uh, psychologically as much as anything. We also got a voicemail from Matt in Detroit, and it was Buddy Matt. It was over two and a half minutes long, so we can't read. We can't play that. So, uh, But I'll, the gist of what he was saying was he wasn't happy with the short yardage play calling. Uh, he was happy for Stephen Mitchell and Matt Lopes playing well. Uh, needless penalties on Daniel Mentor Baby the last couple of weeks. And he said, we're a top 10 talent, but nowhere near that in preparation or execution. So a lot of points from Matt in Detroit. Well, I think they execute some things fabulously well. I mean, there are some of those, you know, runs that, that where they really do get the blocking and they get the seams and Rojo, you know, hits it perfectly. Some of the down-the-field pass patterns, you can't execute them any better than uh, you know than what Deontay does. Obviously, what Tyler is starting to do. The fade for the touchdown to Michael Pittman was as good a, a play as anybody has made all year, and I think they really worked on that. So it's so spotty. That's the thing. I mean, they, they they'll do things. I mean, they obviously uh, worked on the field goal block. They saw something 
they were right. They thought they could get penetration, both of them, because they're two big kids, and uh, Peely can jump, you know, dunk it with one hand off one leg, 6'4", 320. And uh, Austin Jackson, 6'5", and can run track. And they both said, nope, nope, it wasn't the height. It was the uh, penetration that that got him. Uh, and I know Coach McIntyre was really surprised because he thought this is, they had that 30-year-old uh, Australian former re- or soccer player kicker who they said, wow, we thought he got enough height that he'd never get one block. So they they did something really good there. So that's really good. They did something really bad getting the punt block. Um, uh, Jenny Harris did some some great things uh, with his decision. So uh, on the two picks and, um, uh, it's just the, the lack of consistency that it looks like some of it, they've really, you know, figured out. I mean, Rojo gets 142 yards. He passes three great, uh, running backs, number six all time for USC. And yet they, they can't consistently get him, uh, a short yard. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, does you want to bang your head, yeah. you know, on the wall and say, "What the, what, what's going on out there?" Well, he has and, to be uh, on the field, Dan. He wasn't on the field for the fourth. <laughs> well, he wasn't on the field. Well, that, I think that may have also been played in with the uh, uh, with the oxygen thing, and that may be what he was trying to tell us that because of the rotation. But yeah, he wasn't on. Although, I mean, I don't know who. I mean, the ball. I mean, that was said where? What did he have? One step before he got hit. Yeah. I mean, he had no blockers. And he got one step, and he got hit. I mean, who does that? I mean, uh, you're right there. He wasn't on the he wasn't <laughs> on the field, and he was on the he was on for the second short yardage, and they did get four yards, yeah. but they didn't run that play again. Uh, yeah. So um, it's uh, uh, sometimes uh, you, you do re- it. Re- it makes you remember uh, the famous quote by John McKay when he said he said, uh, "What do you think about your?" Uh, what do you think about your player's execution? He said, I'm in favor of it. Uh, <laughs> in this case, it might be the, the USC coach, you know, the play calling at times. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, you know, th- they will tell you it's execution, but maybe you don't do a play where uh, one guy making the wrong decision on, on blocking allows you to, the, the play to get blown up like that. Yeah. That would be maybe one possibility. All right. Well, we still got a ton of these, so we'll try to uh, we'll try to motor through some. We do appreciate everyone sending them in. We'll do our best to get to them all. Uh, Stephen Poway says, "Can Reed Budrovich also kick field goals and extra points? The kid's amazing. Is there a better candidate you can think of for USC Special Teams Player of the Year?" Uh, there is not. And yeah, he was. I remember going to those uh, St. John Bosco games, thinking that he was a recruitable. Uh, Field, uh, place kicker. Uh, I think it was like 13 of 19 field goals and, as a senior, something like that. Uh, I think he's a terrific. Now, you you really do have to practice it because now you got to get a you got to hold, get the holder on the other side. So it requires some practice. Uh, with the fact that they weren't going to let Chase McGrath do any practice this last week, I would have thought, and they did some with Reed. Not as much as they, they might have done. Uh, one would hope that that would happen this week. Uh, but it does, you have to reorient your, uh, your holder uh, with a left-footed kicker. But, uh, but I think he's a, he's a terrific, uh, maybe he has a little bit longer leg swing than Chase. But uh, 
but that would be the call without any doubt instead of trying to make a guy with a groin pull, uh, which also then I think not only is it hurt, does it hurt you mechanically, but psychologically you're kicking knowing that you're trying to only go to a certain point and, and not re-aggravate that injury, and you haven't kicked all week. So now you're injured, you haven't kicked all week, and you're thinking about it. That guy would not be kicking for me and should not have been kicking for USC yeah. Saturday. 100% agree there. <laughs> or, and, shouldn't be kick, and shouldn't be kicking this week either. No. I don't know what they're thinking. That, was, that wasn't smart. Yeah, there's a lot of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew G. wrote in and said, great job on all the content. I remember way back when there was only one podcast a week. Now we've got nearly one every day. Love it. Uh, thanks, Andrew. He said, meanwhile, we waited through the first two-thirds of the season for Daniel Metor Bebe to get healthy. Many of us even blamed some of the early struggles on offense to his being out since he was such a key target for Sam last year. But since he's been back, he hasn't made much of an impact at all and has hardly, hardly even been targeted. Any insights? Well, I think they needed him more for his blocking than anything. I think that's where they missed him, missed him right away. And I think the one thing that they loved doing with it was getting him out the seam because of the way he runs. And if you fell asleep on the tight end, there he was, uh, like in the Washington game last year, in the end zone, catching the ball. I still don't think he has that kind of uh, speed yet. I, I think the hip flexor is still bothering him. Uh, but he's closer, and I think he, you know, pretty good, uh, in, you know, short yardage and and um, and blocking at the line of scrimmage, where I think he's been a plus. But I don't know that they've looked and thought, okay, we can get him downfield to where he can really, uh, you know, run away from a linebacker yet. And so I would think that may be fairly legitimate in terms of uh, of not seeing him targeted deep as much yet. I still think he's. He still looks to me like uh, that leg isn't uh, 100%. Yeah. We had a couple of questions about the third quarter. Judy and Claremont said she wanted to know how much uh, she loves these podcasts, and she wants to know what's going on with third quarter play. It seemed like history repeating itself, letting opponents back in the game. And AJ said the third quarter seems to be our nemesis. To me, that means the other team is making adjustments that confuse USC, and apparently USC has not made any adjustments that confuse the other team. What do you think? Questions about the third quarter, Dan? Yeah, I think the other, other teams are making adjustments because USC tends to come out and play pretty well, especially the second quarter. Uh, and they tend to, like they were, uh, you know, they made the big play at the end of the first half, and they're up 20 to nothing. Uh, and Colorado has to make some adjustments. I think the problem is USC tends to set, sit on the lead and – tries not to get beat at that point. And I think both on offense and defense, I think defensively, I don't see the same aggressiveness when they're up 20 or 27 to nothing. Um, and you would like to say, hey, it got you the, the shutout to this part. You know, I think, uh, what was it, uh, 39 minutes into the game, 39 minutes, something like that, uh, they were shutting them out. And you would think, hey, whatever you're doing, just keep doing. But I, you don't quite see the aggressiveness to go for it on either offense or defense. That There just seems to be a kind of a protect-the-lead mentality. And I don't think many USC teams were that good at it, and I don't think this team is good at it at all. So 
uh, I, I think that's what's happening in the third quarter. I mean, this is the kind of team that if they were behind going into the third quarter, you'd see it. And you saw that. Utah, I guess, uh, would be a good example, uh, uh, that this team will go for it. I think the difference is it's just going for it or not going for it. they gotta kind of got to go for it and just keep going for it. And if you've got a lead in the third quarter, maybe you take your foot off the gas a little bit. I just don't think this team can play with their foot off the gas. they got to just keep going for it. That's who they are. I mean, they don't do, they don't do anything else well other than, than go for it. they got to just be themselves and uh, play to their strengths. And uh, I'm not sure how the coaches see that, but it, it just looks like they lose some of that. Let's go for it. Let's play to our strikes. And it, it comes back to bite them in the butt. Speaking of going for it, Gary in Seattle says, Dan, why are the coaches so stubborn in sticking with the pistol formation on fourth and short in goal line situations? We have gone under center a few times this year, but should be doing it in all caps every time we are in these situations. By not doing so, is putting our offense at a serious disadvantage in both fourth and short situations against Colorado. The defense is in the backfield as soon as the running back gets the ball. And if not for a nice move by Rojo to sidestep the defender, we have been stopped again. Heck, even the announcers were talking about it. It's not about, quote-unquote, executing, as Helton likes to say, because the defense is playing to stop the short game. They are crowding the line of scrimmage and shooting gaps, which is why there always seems to be defenders in the backfield that our running backs need to avoid which seems to be the only way we're about to convert. or we're, I'm sorry, the only way we're able to convert. To stay in the same formation as normal down and distance situations makes absolutely no sense at all. Fight on, uh, Gary in Seattle. I, Gary, cannot disagree with anything you just said. I mean, you just said it perfectly. You're exactly right. Whatever you're going to do, you got to practice it, though. And, and we can say it, and this would be better, or that would be better, or... You know, with everybody crashing down, uh, getting to the flag and going wide, yeah, that would work. Uh, the option would probably work. A lot of things would work. Got to work. You got to you got to practice them. They like Sam in the shotgun. I, again, another question I asked of Clay. They like Sam in the shotgun. They uh, they like the pistol, where they say he can go either way and get tackled in the backfield. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, it's a little baffling by now that they haven't said, you know what, let's just do something else. Uh, they just there there is a stubbornness there, and, and stubbornness is probably a good quality, and not giving in uh, is probably a good quality. But then there comes a time where you just say, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to, you know, keep banging my head on that wall, and that that, that wall is going to give away. Uh, so maybe you just at, at some point you just say, let's try something different, but. You got to work on it. You got to believe in it. You got to get the kids to believe in it. And uh, um, you know, some things they do work on. They occasionally work on the two-point extra points, for example, and they did it nicely. And they didn't panic. They took their time. Uh, they had uh, Colorado doing things that they didn't know they had. They were going to have to do. Sam was cool as can be, and you know, the little jump pass. He likes throwing that thing. And they they just took their time, and and uh, that's good. But I, you wish they would were able to, you know, complete a short yardage situation uh, as well as they handled that two-point extra point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I can't disagree with you at all. Let's go to Bill. He says, hey, Ryan, love all the podcasts. You guys are awesome. What the hell is up with 
uh, what has to be the most undisciplined team in major college football. They shoot their mouths off like they're the Miami Hurricanes of old. They commit stupid personal fouls. They can't seem to be in the right place or start moving uh, after the snap. I know it's cool being on TV and playing for USC, and certain positions have to have a certain attitude to play, but they are really starting to hurt the team's performance on the field. They stop offensive drives. Uh, they extend defensive stints, and then you trip over your own feet and give up a 70-yard touchdown and let the other team back into the game. I'd love to hear what the receiver said the next time he lined up across from, quote-unquote, that guy. I'm not going to name names, but you know who. He likes to practice his acting or modeling classes between plays. What, if anything, is the coaching staff doing to write this? Because it looks like it's getting worse to me. Thanks to fight on Bill from San Jose, a.k.a. Trojan War Machine. Yeah, TWM, uh, we won't probably know because they're not going to tell us. I mean, they really, they're the, uh, they play good cop, good cop. They're just trying to convince them, please don't do that. You know, it hurts you. I I, I think Clay finally let loose a little bit on the sidelines. But, uh, yeah, I I think the one person is unfazable. My guess is the next time he lined up, he was still talking, you know. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how you can untalk somebody uh, who is just not going to be untalked. Uh, uh, and they don't, they clearly don't have any answers because the question has been asked enough. And again and again, it was asked uh, Sunday night on the conference call. And you just, you know, that Clay will take responsibility. It's his job to kind of coach him out of that. But, uh, you know, do you finally get to the situation where the only way you coach him out of it is uh, you can sit him down and say, you can talk there. Uh, nobody going to hear you. Uh, but we need you to, uh, you know, to play with discipline. And we need, we need you to not make it about you because it isn't. It's about all these other guys. It's, all, uh, it's about all this history. And it's not about you. And if you think it's about you, you're in the wrong place. Um, that's just not who we are. And uh, um, obviously, there's not a good answer because they haven't. They certainly haven't come up with it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, they need to. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a questionable thing. Um, Michael in Maryland, thanks. He wrote in, and thanks for our fine reporting. He wanted to talk about the discipline, too, and also the uh, officiating, which we think we covered pretty well. So thank you, Michael, for writing in. Steve says, uh, just like last year's team that played their best when their backs were against the wall, the 2017 team does not seem to know what to do with a lead. What do you think it will take for this team or coaches to develop a killer instinct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's not that difficult. You just ask yourself, what did we do to get where we are in this game? Why don't we just keep doing it on offense and on defense? Play like we're behind. Play like every play could be the end of the game and the game decider and just keep playing that way. Do not look at the scoreboard. Do not pay attention to the and, – and, and that is the problem with a lot of the half times is they, they know what they've done well. I mean, obviously, they didn't do that much that well against Colorado. They were basically uh, shut out the first. They were shut out the first quarter. Second quarter, they got two scores. Uh, and then uh, Colorado 
what they were thinking, I can't even imagine. Uh, they ran a couple of short plays, and uh, with whatever 20-some seconds left, they decided to throw a deep out. Uh, and it made no sense at all, and they gave USC an extra touchdown. But that wasn't a game where you go in at halftime, I don't think, and say, wow, we really got this going. Because they, they didn't really have it going, especially on offense, especially, um, um, you know, obviously the defense had stepped up pretty well. But why not just keep playing like it was the first half on defense instead of thinking, you know, we've got, we've got cushion here. We've got room to, you know, give up some stuff, and it won't matter. Uh, I I, I would say, or just say, start the game over at halftime in, in your mind. But uh, they don't seem to be able to do that. They really seem to look at the scoreboard, and if they've got the lead, things change. And, and that should not be the case, I don't think. We got one from uh, John, class of 1997. Uh, it's kind of long, but I'll give you the gist of it. He says, what are your feelings on Clancy Pendergast? I'm not a huge fan. Granted that the defense has... Uh, for many games this season, been the saving grace and overall has performed better than the offense. However, I still feel the defense has and continues to underperform given the talent and athletes he has at his disposal. He said there's no reason we shouldn't have a dominating defense like Washington or Alabama. Um, he goes on to talk about is it overly complicated and quoting some of the stuff where you know defensive coordinators are believers in you know not having it all this detail and not be that complicated, make it easy for the players to, to kind of understand. But I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Clancy Pendergast from John, class of 97. Well, I don't think there's an easy answer. It's like everything involving this USC team. I mean, uh, how much happier could you have been than the shutout in the first half at Colorado? So they've got a shutout going. Uh, and then they gave up 24 points in the second half. So, I mean, which way are you looking at that thing? Um, uh, and there are ways that people, I think, you know, think it's too complex, and yet they've had really good success with, uh, uh, say, Jordan. ESF. Well, first of all, they, they had Christian Rector step in uh, for uh, uh, Porter Gustin, and he did great. And then he goes down, and you've got Jordan Iosefa, and they have to play it differently with him there. But, uh, you know, you've got your key guy on the edge is a brand-new guy from the inside, and he's done really well. Or you have a John Houston who, uh, you know, so many people said just is not the answer. He's the wrong guy. The last couple of weeks, he's really stepped up, and they've figured out, you know, what to do with with John Houston. Uh, and they've, you know, had musical chairs uh, up front, and those guys have have kind of been performing uh, much of the time, and then all of a sudden they're not performing, uh, and it, it's it's a mixed bag uh, if you start saying, well, how do we evaluate? I mean, I think statistically they're probably farther down, uh, you know, on the list if you look at all the various NCAA categories. Uh, there are some that you think, you know, they're, they're giving up too many points. Uh, um, they're, they're not as effective. Uh, they're giving up too many, certainly on busted coverages. They're just, uh, that's not acceptable where the other team doesn't even have to work to get a score. I mean, that's, uh, that's not what you want to see. So uh, something of a mixed bag on defense. Um, I thought the game plan, um, I thought the game plan, for example, uh, starting with Arizona State and then with Arizona uh, and and Khalil Tate uh, for three-quarters of that game almost, or 
or, you know, they shut, like Philip Lindsay is averaging 133 yards a game, and he got 68. So that was their goal, and they, they did a really good job on that. So, uh, um, again, mixed bag. USC, you, you, there are things to like and things not to like about almost everywhere you look, at, you know, at this USC team. And, uh, and so it's hard to just, you know, isolate on one guy or one coach and say you, you, you don't like what's happening because mostly you've got a situation where they're doing things you really do like and then there are things you really don't like. And uh, it's it's kind of complicated. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a simple uh, solution because what, what he wrote in, this defense has saved USC's butt more often than not this season. So it's kind of hard to fall him there. Um, Sean in Sacramento. So we have a few more left. He said, this question is for Dan. Despite being slept on by the major sports networks, Ronald Jones has quietly climbed to sixth on the list of all-time USC rushing leaders with multiple games still left in the season. Assuming he declares after this year, what legacy has Rojo left as one of the all-time great Trojans? I think a lot of his legacy is just a delightful personality, just a kid that loves being there. Uh, you know, to get a kid out of Texas who comes to USC and is just just loves everything about being part of the USC program, and his mom is you know such a you know positive influence and all that. And I think a lot of what he'll leave is is a personality uh, that just just such a plus kid. Um, happy uh you know to be there and happy to be able to be getting better and a, a kid that uh put on you know got stronger and and bigger and uh you know tougher uh and and really responded well to uh deland mccullough's coaching and um and gives all the praise to his offensive line which and in some cases probably doesn't deserve it uh, but he comes out of those games, and uh, no matter how many times he's been hit in the backfield before he had a chance to take his second step, he will praise those offensive linemen and uh, just uh, such a positive uh, a, a kid that he'll leave a legacy of just being a really great uh, you know, kid that you were very happy to know uh, as, as a part of this USC program. And, oh, by the way, ended up, uh, I guess he could – if if things work out and they get, um, you know, the three more games, uh, he could end up third uh, behind. You know, nobody's ever ever going to catch uh, Charlie White and Marcus Allen, but uh, but he could end up uh, third on the rushing you know list at USC in three years. That's pretty good. I mean, he obviously you he would you'd have to pass OJ, and now OJ did it in two years, so. Uh, but, uh, but a really nice legacy and just a wonderful kid. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Ian in San Francisco. He said, just wanted to point out the very really realistic scenario of Wazoo winning the game, uh, winning the Pac-12 North, and needing to travel to Santa Clara on a Friday night, the losing formula of a road game plus Friday road game back-to-back. Will you be rooting for Washington State with me? Go Cougs. And fight on, uh, Ian in San Francisco, and pretty much anyone you're following. A, it, teams this year are zero and four. If you have a conference game on a Saturday, followed by a road 
uh, Friday night game. So any of the teams, Stanford, Washington, they would all be on short weeks, basically a road game on a Friday. So it would be a losing formula for all of them. Yeah, and 0-7 for the last two years. 0-7 essentially all time since they've really been doing this. Uh, only the Pac-12 could end up doing that. I mean, it would be USC got two of those, so uh, it would be uh, only fitting that USC gets the advantage. But again, that's not fair. And I guess this week, or the next week, is the rivalry week. And two of the four teams that are going into rivalry week will be going in off a bye, which isn't fair either. I mean, if you're involved in the Apple Cup or the, you know, uh, I think, let's see, Sanford Cal, uh, I guess Cal's going to be coming in on a bye. Uh, and I'm not even sure which Washington, I st- Washington State, I guess, is coming in on a bye into the Apple Cup. That's just not right. It's just a terrible schedule. But uh, that USC would be the beneficiary uh, for the first time. Uh, and and if if it's Washington State, they'll be the same situation Washington State was in, uh, you know, when they got USC. No conference should be in that position. Uh, but uh, again, it's the Pac-12. What would you, what would you expect? The only other opportunity, though, is if say Stanford would pound Notre Dame in their final game. Would you rather have a chance to to beat? St- which game would move you up? Right now, beating Washington State moves you up more. And it erases that loss from your record, kind of, because you can say, you know, the uh, the injuries and the fight, you know, the short week and all that. So, uh, probably rather have Washington State. Maybe it'll be the same week that they try to arraign uh, Liam Jimmins in uh, in in court <laughs> up in uh, in uh, in Pullman. So, uh, might be another uh, another factor uh, going into that game. But uh, I would just show them. The uh, uh, the Cougar fans rushing the field, uh, that you know, couple of minutes of video, I just show that over and over. I'd have that running on a loop in the locker room for USC that that week. Uh, it would be uh, would be probably the way I'd go. Yeah, it should be motivation enough there. Um, Tarek said, assuming USC beats UCLA and wins the Pac-12, won't the only way to improve next season would be a college football playoff berth? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that was yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. I, I mean, no. you would have thought like and, winning and, the Pac-12. It'll make up for a lot of people thought this year should have been one as well, which it probably should have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think with the, uh, I mean, you, you look at something like that, it would have been hard to picture a scenario where USC wins the Pac-12 and doesn't win. Uh, it doesn't make it to the playoff, but you know, losing an extra game that Notre Dame game certainly uh, impacted that. So. Yeah, I mean, if they beat the Washington State in the first time they play them, they go into Notre Dame a little more seriously yeah. as an unbeaten team, ranked fourth or fifth. So as much as they couldn't make themselves get ready for Notre Dame game like it mattered uh, and didn't get enough help from the coaches, uh, the, the, the change circumstances would have changed probably how that, how that game uh, you know, played out. So... Yeah, I think they beat Washington State. I think they've got a heck of a shot at the playoffs this year, the way things have developed. Uh, I think they stay high enough all year, and um, and they go into Notre Dame, and, and that's probably a close game because Notre Dame isn't that much better than USC, if at all. And uh, but, you, know, you can't have your bad game when they they had their, you know, obviously Notre Dame 
had a bye and got ready for that game, had their best game of the year by far, and USC had their worst game of the year by far, and uh, put those two together, and uh, uh, you've got the makings of 49-14. Yeah. One last one. Dan, uh, he's USC class of 62. So thanks for always keeping the Trojans so well-informed. Consistency is the key to a successful athletic program, no matter the sport. At USC, instead of using a national championship as the standard, which is unreasonable every year, I would propose that a 10-win season and New Year's Day bowl game should be our yardstick for success because if we are consistent with 10 or more wins per year, some of those years will be playoff years. Pete had seven 11 win seasons, which allowed him to have two and should have had been four national championships. Uh, Coach Helton will have uh, two 10 win seasons in his first two years, which makes recruiting that much easier. Of course, we want perfection from the team, um, but let us not make perfection the enemy of the very good. Also, why are we not recruiting and utilizing the full 10 scholarships for women cross country? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of out of, uh, I have no idea. We lose track championships because of the scholarship limitations. And yet, unlike Oregon and Stanford, we do not use cross country to recruit distance runners. We should always be in the hunt for the NCAA track and field championships. Thanks. Fight on uh, Dan class of 62. He likes to slip in those uh, other sports, Dan. So he kind of just yeah, slipped that one I, in under the My room. thought was that they combine. I think there's a way you can combine those cross country and track and field scholarships. And I think they've decided that their strength has always been, you know, in the track and field and the, and the shorter distances and the you know, field events. And that they've gone in that direction, I think, and they don't use up the scholarships for the distance. They just have no you know, tradition uh, at USC that I can remember of, um, of the distance running. So, uh, I'll have to a- a- answer that. As far as the uh, tradition for uh, uh, national championships and all that, I think you get to be a certain program, Alabama, uh, maybe Ohio State, Michigan, I think they're you know, kind of iffy, Oklahoma maybe, um, where you just, uh, and I'm not even sure like a Texas is there, uh, where you just have to have the idea of national championships at the end of the road. I think now that it's a four-team playoff, I think that's that's legitimate. In effect, you're saying Pac-12 championship. If you win the Pac-12 championship, you probably ought to be in the playoffs. So I don't think it's all that unreasonable to combine those two things that, uh, that your goal every year. Let's face it, it's the Pac-12. USC ought to win the Pac-12. I mean, most years, uh, you know, the combination of their history – uh, and their recruiting ability, territory, uh, and the, the fact that what the school has done just as a school and the whole L.A. media market and all that, it's just th- they ought to be able to say, look, we ought to be in the hunt every single year for the Pac-12 championship. Uh, and that ought to be almost, and that's the way, the way Pete did it with the whole, you know, Rose Bowl is our goal, which in effect was the Pac-12 championship. Uh, and and they, when it was the BCS and just two teams, Pete kind of said, "Well, you don't have much control." And the SEC obviously had you know had kind of uh, cooked the books as to way how that was going to go. And, and as, as the USC showed, they did uh, a couple of times on USC. But uh, but I think now I think it's fair. I think it's fair that the coach coming in here ought to be uh, willing to say our goal is a national championship. 
and uh, the Pac-12 championship. I think the two are together because if you win the Pac-12, you got a shot at the, the national championship. Obviously, people know everybody can't do that every year. But uh, I think for USC, you recruit kids that you think you can win a national championship with. If, you, if you're not doing that, then you probably, uh, probably don't quite get USC. I think you gotta, you got to have that. It's it just, you know, Notre Dame uh, would be another one that, that history hasn't been on their side recently. But, um, but I think you've got to have that in mind when you recruit kids, that uh, you have to be, uh, in our minds, capable of helping us win a national championship. And uh, USC is the only program in the Pac-12 that, that, that should do that. So uh, uh, I think it's just a different story for USC. I, don't, I think you know, other programs can say well, well, 10 wins is fine in a good bowl game, and um, that's not USC, I don't think. USC's one step above, above that. All right, Dan Weber, great stuff. Uh, thanks again for coming in, and uh, we will uh, see you out there practice tomorrow and talk to you again later in the week. We will. That's very good. All right. Thanks so much, and, and great questions. Uh, love them. They're from everywhere. Uh, that's great stuff. We really appreciate you guys uh, with the insights. It might be better in some ways to have uh, a little bit of distance, uh, and you can be looking at the program from, you know, wherever, Maryland or New Zealand or all, all the places we were getting, uh, getting questions from. That's just great. Yeah, we love it, and uh, thanks for sending all those in. I'm sorry if we didn't get to every single one of them. We tried our best. Um, you guys sent in a bunch, and we do love those. So thanks again. Uh, that's Dan Weber. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.